the art of self-reliance is forging your own path, but the path is difficult. Made easier by learning from those who have succeeded in directing their own lives on their own terms. With their help and inspiration, your path to self-reliance moves from dream to reality. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rodney King. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Self-Reliance podcast. In this episode, I speak to retired U.S. Army Special Forces operator J.D. Morris. J.D. spent 13 years on operational detachments in 3rd Battalion and 5th Special Forces Group. Over those 13 years, he served as the Engineer Sergeant, Intelligence Sergeant, and Operational Sergeant on Special Forces A teams. He deployed five times under long-term combat conditions from 1991 to 2006. In addition, he was also deployed in numerous contingency operations in the Middle East during the 90s. After his third tour in Iraq during the global war on terror in 2006, he found himself sick and confused. He was suffering from PTSD and TBI, but he couldn't recognize it in himself. After a medical retirement in 2008 and after 21 years of service, he was lost in life after the military. It would take six more difficult years before the healing started. JD is transparent about this part of his life in an attempt to give back and help others with the same post-military and combat injuries. As such, he offers the same support to local law enforcement and first responders. In this episode, we discuss countering depression, how nutrition aids in mental and emotional clarity, and longevity. The art of self-reliance calls you to adventure, to develop your self-protection skills, to learn how to survive no matter where you find yourself, and to thrive amongst life's chaos. J.D., here's my first question for you. When you hear the words self-reliance, what does that mean to you? Uh, It's taken a different meaning over time. Uh, I would say growing up... um, I don't know. I don't know if I fully remember, but after the military, um, you know, it was relying, mostly relying on uh, the military mindset, uh, the skills I had been given um, and just being hard. Um, And I always use the analogy of just trying to, you know, run through the brick wall, maybe in special forces, get around it. But then uh, in the last uh, 12 years since retirement, it's meant so much more Um, six or seven of those. It was in a pretty dark space, but you know, now self-reliance is, um, you know, I guess if I embrace the four states of being mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, you know, um, you know, it's just not about the physical and the tough mindedness. It's uh, embracing the other two and putting them all together. One of the things we said we would talk about, and obviously, you know, you, you need to just, and I want to respect where you're coming from. So only feel free to share what you feel you can, of course. But definitely one of the things that I'm sure we're both aware of in in different respects, and we might be coming from it from different points of view, you coming out of the military, maybe the experiences that I had growing up, um, depression has been something that I've had to deal with personally. I know that you've had to deal with that. It It isn't uncommon for veterans to be dealing with a lot of depression and issues coming out of the service, depending on the experiences they had, of course, right? but maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, where you were at and where you are now. No, well, thank you so much for what you do. And no, um, yeah, again, maybe uh, up to the military, up till retirement in 2008, I have, I may have been single-minded only thinking about any 
you know, pluses or minuses in a, in a real, in a military um, environment, but now has so much more compassion and empathy uh, for everyone. Um, you know, PTSD, I, I don't believe it has to be one event depression. Um, I think it might have been genetic in my family. So, you know, uh, the past couple of years really have made progress uh, with it. Um, we'll say one of the hardest things for me to do, whether it was in the dark place or coming out of it, was for me to recognize it myself and admit it and accept it. Uh, I kept thinking that, you know, I was a bad person and this shouldn't happen, Well, whether to the military guy or to the value-driven you know, person I thought I was outside the military. I'm like, you know, this, this just can't be happening. I didn't accept it as a medical diagnosis. And until I did that, I didn't make much progress. Yeah. So that's interesting that you say that, right? The, the whole idea of acceptance. So obviously this, this podcast is about you and not me, but just, just a quick share. A lot of people that know my background, know where I came from. I was, you know, brought up on the South side of Johannesburg. It's like government housing. I had an abusive alcoholic mother, I had to deal with bullies. Anyway, long story short, right? My, my childhood wasn't a good childhood and there was a lot of trauma there. And then I got into the martial arts and that's where I've spent most of my time. But in the years that I've been doing it, I've taken an enormous amount of punishment to my body, right? So my neck is completely messed now to the point that the neurosurgeon said, listen, you know, you need to do something else, find something else to do. But the main thing for me is about, several years ago, I really started going down a slippery slope and I started going into this massive depression and I've written about it on my blog. And exactly as you said, the, the thing that I found the hardest was really accepting that there was a problem because I kept thinking that how can somebody like me and what I've achieved, why can't I get my shit together? Like, why can't I turn this around? Um, and I wouldn't acknowledge it because I saw it as a weakness, right? It's like, you know, just if I'm just a little bit more mentally stronger, I should be able to get out of this. Was that kind of your experience too? Uh, brother, you're spot on. Um, and I still have trouble with that today. That's why I use that analogy about running through the brick wall. Cause in special forces after the Gulf war, you know, we're said to be, you know, trained unconventional warriors think outside the box. But in this case um, with the mental and emotional, all I, you know, figuratively kept trying to do was run through the wall. It was like, look, I'm, I'm all these, you know, combat tours and I'm all these qualifications and high speed training in the military. What's wrong with me outside of this? Why can't I? Okay, well, tomorrow we'll fix it. Um, and going back to your point, I'm very transparent about all of this. So, you know, uh, the depression and any of the diagnosis goes with uh, substance abuse. And um, that would always be my go-to. And then I would, you know, that insanity of thinking, well, I get up tomorrow morning, I get to go jump out of a plane, go shoot while I was in the military. Outside 12 years ago, I would try to replicate that in some way, um, mostly through training or training others. And I would say, well, things are going to be different today. I'm going to feel differently. I'm going to, you know, something's going to change. I'm not going to be sleeping out of my truck anymore. And obviously that didn't happen. So, um, you know, the, the full, obviously getting the substances out. Um, but then, you know, full actually two years after that, that was 2013, um, 2015, you know, I had a lot of suicidal thoughts and I'm like, I'm working my butt off, you know, there's no more, you know, I, what I think, you know, or the doctors say is poison, you know, what's going on. Well, I, I still hadn't dealt with that, you know, black, 
the the rucksack that was on my back or the you know black gorilla deep down inside there and um you know it took another year uh when i started truly working on that that's when the progress started like 2016 but yeah i didn't i just i'm a perfectionist uh, i'm over controlling um you know on and on and on those are va diagnosis but and i when i looked at those on paper and i realized them and i accepted them uh, that's when i you know could start um, the, and that's when the self-reliance, when you, when I fully saw that for myself, it's like, okay, uh, this is a starting point. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about that because I think that's really important. There, there are a lot of people that are going to be listening to this that are possibly dealing with the same things we're talking about. What did you do to start turning it around? And I think maybe you can speak to this as well. And I want to make this very clear is that it's not like it's a magic bullet, right? A magic pull that suddenly you do ABC and everything just falls back into alignment and everything's great again. In actual fact, it's something that has to constantly be worked on. You know, you have good days and you have bad days, but I would say like, even for myself right now, I have a lot more you know, good days than I have bad days, but it's still a work in progress. But I'm interested to know what kind of strategies, things that you did that you felt that really helped you. Uh, I believe I had, you know, I still had uh, a good bit of, you know, mental and uh, physical um, self-resilience, um, self-reliant, um, you know, ways to go about it. But uh, from those uh, post-retirement six or seven really dark years and then a couple years, even without the booze and pills, um, it just... I could finally see that it just wasn't truly working. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give the formal medical process, you know, more chances. When I walked back in and for me uh, from the start, it was the individual therapy, uh, finding someone, whether it was inside the VA or out that I could fully trust, which it doesn't always happen. You might have to go through a couple providers and sit down and have them, you know, I guess dissect me and also, uh, for once in my life, truly be honest with myself um, about the darkness, uh, some of it prior to the military growing up and um, abuse, uh, you know, tried college for a couple of years, drinking too much, the military trauma on a, everything that I thought. And I had built up a lot of shame. That was also key. Um, and I, that was like a so, you know, we talk about the depression and things that I, I may have not accepted. I accepted that, but then the shame kind of hit me from the periphery, a, a total blindside. Uh, and I didn't understand it. And uh, most people say, well, you're pretty well put together, pretty smart guy. And I'm like, brother, I don't even know the difference between shame and guilt. So they explained it to me again. Uh, Might have been a counselor therapist. And I'm like, holy crap, you know, that's me. I, I uh, Some things to be feel guilty about, but I had no clue about this dark cloud of shame. And when we started to work on that in 2016, I mean, it was just, it, it was, you know, it felt like, you know, getting that bad stuff out of your system, the poison, eating right, all this. It was just like, wow, uh, something feels better. And uh, the rest of 2016, I came back from a, um, a VA uh, treatment and uh, one of the best along the East Coast for PTSD, TBI, and substance abuse. And then some of the other things that I had done, um, you know, whether it be working out, uh, I did, wasn't eating right. Um, you know, I wasn't drinking anymore, but some, you know, some value driven, uh, family stuff and personal stuff, you know, started to kick in again. 
uh, where I was doing that in the past, but it just, it wasn't having any, you know, I'd either half-assed it or it just, it wasn't doing it because it was still a mental and emotional thing. Um, and then I just kept moving forward. And of course, I had to go back and address that stuff that was on paper from the one therapist, um, you know, at the, uh, at the BA. I went down that list and it's like, well, perfectionism. Um, yes, I'm trying to make the perfect workout schedule, the perfect diet every day, but this, and it was, it wasn't really killing me like before I could look back and see how that did over my army career. But now it's like, okay, well, if I don't get this in today, if I have some chips and M&Ms, that's okay. But let's, tr let's just try to keep going forward. And, you know, three, four years later, um, and I, at some point in those three, four years, I said, hey, this is a process. This is a marathon. Uh, I guess I always wanted to sprint before. Um, and I do. I, I'm on an antidepressant. I'm on Lexapro. Um, and the rest are either, you know, on the physical side, blood pressure, high cholesterol. Because um, at one point I went anti-medicine. I don't. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that. But, you know, don't go cold turkey like I did several times. Um but uh, yeah, the individual therapy and, and listening, um, my wife is big on listening to your body. I'm 56 now and I still want to go out and be Batman, but you know, that doesn't work out well. So I find it really interesting where you talk about this idea of shame. So again, just because we're sharing, and I think it's important for other people to hear this, where my problem came in, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. So this was my issue that I found was I had a lot of trauma when I was a child. I didn't deal with it. I kind of put it in the background. Like you said, just running through the wall, right? Just running through that brick wall, one, after, one brick wall after the next. It's kind of what I did. And I put myself out there. And for a lot of years, I mean, I would just fight anybody and, 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 and everything, right? And when I was teaching around the world, if anybody wanted to step up and touch gloves with me and spar, I would, I would do it, right? And so I ended up taking an enormous amount of trauma to my, to my head. And that ultimately became the trigger that put me into depression. But I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't know that, right? So for a long time there, I was just having huge problems with anxiety, with aggression, with mood swings all over the place. And I had no idea what was happening. And then I blew out my neck, which was coming already. And it forced me to take a step back. And for months, I couldn't do anything. And what I noticed over those several months of not being able to get on the mat and train and not actually spar like I used to, I was actually feeling better. You know, I mean, I wouldn't say I was 100%, but I was definitely feeling better. And then once I've healed, I put myself back on that treadmill, right? And I'm back again and I'm slamming those walls. And literally within a short period of time, I'm feeling all of that stuff come back. So long story short, eventually, as you did, I went and saw professionals. I went and saw therapists. And went for, you know, to find out what is actually going on so, so it could be diagnosed. And the long story is, you know, the short story of the long story is ultimately what it came down to is I've obviously done a lot of damage to my brain with all the, the, the impact that I've taken over the years. And the consensus was one medication, which is which was I found interesting because my psychiatrist said, until you take medication and you get what's going on chemically in your head, right, you're never going to be able to deal with it in the way that you want to mentally and fix this thing. Um, so I went down that road, but also I had to start pulling back and not doing what I'd always done. And that was a huge 
huge thing for me, right? It's like, I guess you could also speak to that. You know, you, you were in the military. That was who you were. That's how you defined yourself. That's how you, you saw yourself, how everybody else saw you. And then suddenly you're not in the military. And now what? Now, who am I, right? So we got that kind of going on. But, but I think my point is, is what and I want to get your take on this was that the trauma that I ended up doing to myself, which ultimately triggered my depression, that in itself was one problem, but it made the things that I was running away from, from, from my childhood, even worse. It amplified everything, right? And so when, we, when we're talking about PTSD and your struggles with PTSD, did you find that too, is that the PTSD for you, I'm guessing, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, likely happened in your military career, but from the sounds of it, you also had a lot of stuff to deal with coming up as a child and getting that, you know, getting to that point where you did have PTSD, whatever happened in your childhood really amplified itself and became even more intense and, and maybe, you know, something that you never noticed before, but suddenly was there more than it had ever been previously. Uh, we were a fan. Yes. Um, and everything that you just said, it just seems like, uh, you know, um, a lot of feelings and emotions, uh, some of it almost identical. Um, going back to the prior, uh, you know, the uh, late 70s, early 80s, um, graduated high school in 82. Uh, we were a family that swept everything under the rug. So we didn't talk about it. You know, men, uh, I'm grateful. I had, a, you know, I feel a pretty good upbringing. But when there were issues or there was some dark stuff, we never talked about it. And the men coming from steelworkers and and farmers, you know, we weren't uh, made to share emotions and, and feelings. And, you know, you didn't want to be seen crying. So add alcohol, you know, when I went to college and then right into the military, we, you know, they turn you into a tough guy and kind of take away some of the worry. You know, I, I didn't realize until, you know, 25 years later that I was suppressing all that and then combine it with the military. Um, the, uh, and obviously not being an expert, um, but I, I do feel I have the input on the PTSD and brain injury stuff. Um, here, here's what happened to me. So I, I retire in 2008, um, PTSD, anxiety. Uh, they just didn't know what to do with me. And I also got very resentful and a lot of anger towards the system because it's like, look, you guys haven't been looking at this. I, I granted Vietnam era veterans were my heroes growing up. A lot of my mentors uh, when I first joined the army, but it's like, you haven't, I, I get it. They, they didn't have, you know, good care when they came back, but it's like, okay, so we're, we're 40, 50 years. You still don't have a handle on this. So the transition from the army into the, uh, you know, the healthcare system of the VA and even civilian, they just looked at me scratching their head. It felt like, so we started down some paths on the substance abuse and the you know, getting medicine straight and the PTSD. Um, and I was living in a one apartment. Uh, I retired from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, went to Nashville because that's where the biggest VA was. And I had nothing in this apartment. Sometimes I just would travel in my truck and live it out of it, live out of it but I couldn't stay organized. I, I couldn't, and I was always, people always said I was a good at planning an organization. And I said, there's something else going on here. Well, on my uh, out processing, um, I didn't even mention, hey, by the way, I've parachute. I, <laughs> I fell on the ground a lot coming out of an airplane parachuting, and I was an explosive breacher. That was one of my primary jobs. Uh, so there was definitely some brain injury stuff going on, and we hadn't 
I completely forgot about it. That's how sick I was at the time. And, um, you know, they just didn't. So I could see the difference even as uh, sick and as in a dark place I was. There's something different from the textbook symptoms of PTSD. So, and of course, I spent another three years just traveling around the country aimlessly and finally got back up to this area where I grew up. Um, it just was, uh, what I will say is some of the stuff that every morning I got up, a reckless, you know, kind of outlawish idea, I call it the good idea fairy, would be on my shoulder. And it's like, hey, let's go do this today. This sounds fun. You know, <laughs> and that was just, and I, that's just one of, like I say, the brain injury side, not necessarily the PTSD side. Um, somehow we got a kind of a, the, got off the substance that was, especially the alcohol. That was a big thing for me. Um, got some medications, I guess, evened out. So, you know, six, five or six years ago, um, that's when I could truly, or the doctors could truly take a look inside. I could start to look inside at the raw bag of shit and then, you know, what I was truly, actually, I was emotionless. I would sit with this therapist in Baltimore at that program, and she would just pound me because I truly, she goes, you're faking it. I'm just sitting there going, she goes, talk about something horrible. And it would be the same face, the same reaction. Talk about something that makes you happy. Of course, I thought or I acted like nothing made me happy. And my, my look and my demeanor was, the in, in, was truly the same. So I had no idea of how to feel. And of course, you know, you'd sit around in groups and say, well, tell me how you feel and explain that. And I'd be ready to choke someone. It just continued to get better. At that point, you know, I had gotten past the suicidal thoughts and uh, I was like, yes, we're going to do this no matter what it takes. And uh, just tell me what I need to do. And uh, it, it was, I, I kind of got a little, frustrated at times when either the medical system or, you know, a veteran or e e even I, I meet more people, police and, and people outside of any of that now that talk about this stuff. And someone is not seeing it for what it is or what it seems like. Again, me not being a professional, but it's like, you probably have some TBI and some PTSD, definitely depression going on, and they're just not seeing it. So yeah, that, that's interesting, right? And I mean, that, that, that sense of just, it's kind of like a flat affect, I think is the way to describe it, right? It's like nothing makes you excited anymore. You, you don't get, you know, it, it's, just, it's just weird. It's like an unemotional state as you described. Yet, and that's what I found was that so quickly though, to fly off the handle for like the most ridiculous, stupid stuff, right? Like trying to keep anger under control was my biggest thing was that I wouldn't feel anything, but if something got in my way or pissed me off, even if it was so minuscule, I would just turn into like this crazy person. Like I would just get really upset so quickly. Absolutely. Um, road rage, um, you know, the relationship I had gotten remarried in 2013, the relationship with her, she became a, you know, a verbal punching bag. Um, she, we are still together and stronger for it. She had never seen any of the military side um, before, during it, after, never had seen any of the traumatic stuff, never dealt with anything like this. And um, we are still together today. It's something that we decided to stay together and work um, together on. But yeah, I would just sit and rant and just sometimes completely meaningless. And, um, but I was like, and then, you know, sitting down with the expert, either 
on a weekly session or, you know, sometimes after they're like, well, you've listed things and you really don't have anything to be angry about. And then I learned, of course, about misplaced anger. Uh, it, for me, it was just all the, you know, the stuff that I hadn't worked on over the years that I had just kept pressing down inside of me. And the more that we pulled that out, um, it seems like with each year, I usually use the calendar year as a benchmark, but it seems like I just have more of an inner and outward peace uh, with each winter season, um, which, you know, textbook PTSD, that's when I was mostly deployed. Um, that's usually when from November to throughout the spring, especially the last three tours in Iraq, that brought a lot of, you know, emotion, uh, mental anguish and um, some trauma too. So it's kind of reversed. And now, you know, during the fall from Thanksgiving to Christmas through the new year, I find I just seem, you know, after the new year, it's like just, wow, what happened? What am I doing? Just more inner peace. So if I hear you correctly, there's a couple of things here that I think are useful. One, what you are suggesting is it's important to talk about it. And I think you noted that, right? You need to find somebody that you can trust, that you can talk openly to. So you need to be honest. The second part of that is a position of acceptance. You need to accept that there is a problem. And I think that's in itself is really difficult because People like us, you know, we're, we these go-getters, we get shit done kind of mindset, right? Uh, like you said, running through those walls. It's really difficult to acknowledge that we are struggling. You know, it's, it's and, and I guess, and I'm, I'm interested to hear that, that again about that idea of shame. Because for me, the shame part that I realized was I was telling everybody else what they needed to do and I knew what they needed to do. And I knew that if they did that, they would see success. But behind the curtains, I was really struggling doing that myself. And in a way, I kind of felt fake. I felt like I was a failure, right? Like, how can you be giving people advice and telling them what they need to do, but you can't actually do it yourself? And it really took time for me to just be honest with myself and be open. And one of the things that I did that really helped me was I started a blog. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be open. And I'm just going to tell people what's been going on. It is, you know, that was for me working through my shame because my attitude was, you know, there can, can only go two ways here, right? People are going to read this and just think that I'm a hopeless failure and I'm just, you know, I'm a fraud or they're going to see the humanity and, um, you know, in, at least not that I needed that, but at least an understanding that, hey, you know what, if, if somebody like Rodney can struggle and, he, and he's working to overcome it, then there's some hope for me. And that's kind of why I started writing the blog. And I was actually quite pleasantly surprised that in sharing my journey and sharing the things that I'd been going through, most people were really supportive. Absolutely. Um, from 2016 on, um, the first time that I shared it in a, in a group setting, yes, inside the VA, mostly veterans, but it was so healing for me and then, people coming up afterwards and it just went from there. Uh, for me, I, um, the one January, um, two years ago, three years ago, I just felt this, you know, over during December, over Christmas, I just continued to feel better. I was working hard and I wasn't just checking all the blocks. Um, I was truly getting rid of some of the darkness and, um, I woke up on, uh, and I was still a healthy skeptic about Facebook and social media, but I woke up on January 1st and I 
I just wrote a couple things, um, you know, uh, out to whoever friends on Facebook. And by the end of the day, I probably had 70 people, uh, mostly veterans, mostly still deployed around the world saying, dude, man, um, that I'm, I'm experiencing the same thing, but I can't quit. I can't tell anyone about it. Um, I've stayed on the informal side, uh, going back to the, uh, um, brick wall. Um, I think it sounds like an excuse, but I think it, you know, from the military side, um, you know, during the Gulf war, uh, switched over to SF. I was always, I guess, um, you know, I don't even know if it was reality, but I was afraid of being captured. You can never surrender. Or if you're in a fight, you can never surrender. Um, that would come up mentally and emotionally sometimes on the lack of acceptance side that damn it, you know, I'm an airborne ranger, green beret. I cannot surrender. Well, you know, probably with the alcohol the most, uh, in 2013, I, I got, you know, what I heard in a meeting, the gift of desperation. I had no other, as he, my bit, my body was going to physically shut down due to alcohol or I was going to kill myself. So, um, with that, you know, and, but, then it got hard again, two years later. Um, then I was like, oh, I still got a whole bunch. Now I got to really sit down and do the, the hard internal work. And, um, you know, I, I, I just kept at it. But yes, um, seeing it for yourself and realizing that, I guess, in, uh, at that program in, in 16, that it wasn't a weakness. Um, uh, I was introduced to Brene Brown on the shame side. Um, and on the vulnerability side, and I just dug into her books. I was made to read them at first, and then it's like, oh, this is good stuff. And then I found out she was working with the military and, you know, tons of people experiencing this. And that's when I got an appreciation and an empathy for everyone. And I started having people come up. They're like, wow, I, I heard that. I've experienced it. But I, it's nothing. I kind of didn't like when people said it's nothing like you've experienced in the military. And I said, well, I said, I don't think it takes that much saturation. It doesn't take that much repetition. You know, you, you never had any training. So one small short event, you know, could be enough for you um, to make everything just as bad as me. And um, the shame, man, that was, like I said, the, the textbook definition explained to me is, you know, guilty. You made a mistake. Um, if you carry it, you know, you're still a good person. Just try not to shame again, it had been like, I'd never heard the definition is, you know, you did something wrong, um, you know, whether you meant to or not, but you carry it as if you're a bad person. And I truly thought civilian, military, personal, family, friends, that I had become a bad, evil person. And uh, I, I can't even express what that humbling, horrible, you know, what the, what, what that felt like the first time that I looked in the mirror and, and then even a couple of years after 2016, um, I mean, truly feeling better. I still couldn't look at myself in the mirror. There was still something going on. I still wasn't okay with the guy in the mirror. It didn't so much have to do with shame at that point. It just, uh, some of the little, you know, issues or, you know, what 12 step call character defects. I was still trying to be the perfectionist. I was still trying to, you know, over control and manage the situation, manage the outcomes. And so then I went back to work on that stuff with the therapist and, um, you know, fully realized at that point about two years ago, it, it's the process, trust the process. It's probably going to be never ending. 
um, and just embrace it. So what I'm also interested in is one of the things we said we would also talk about, and, and this I find very, very interesting too, because I've had some experience with this, is how nutrition actually aids in you know, mental and emotional clarity. So maybe speak to us about that and why that became so important for you. <laughs> oh, brother, funny story. So I'm sitting with my therapist outside the VA um, and uh, we connected. She was at a, a veteran event and she put up a slideshow and I wasn't seeing anyone outside the VA. I was just checking the blocks at the time and my wife starts elbowing me. We were there together and she's like, she gets it. I think you need to go see her now. So I started seeing her. We're making huge progress. I mean, she could just, one of those people that could see through me. And uh, even I wasn't even trying to hide anything. She goes, hey, we just got this nutritionist in. And, uh, you know, with I was still having some anger and some irritability. And she goes, why don't you go see her? I'm like, yeah, let's go do it. Well, this lady was just, I mean, great, smart, but it was overwhelming. And here's me, you know, I get in my committee in my head and it's like, man, I'm working so hard, but now I got to eat better. And we had just gone, my wife and I had just done a, like a, a 12 week, the amazing 12. I think that guy's over in um, the UK or Ireland or Scotland somewhere. And uh, so, which was a big part of eating right. And uh, I'm like, wow, I just did this. I'm going to embrace it, but I'm only going to do it my way. Well, so I took the blood test, you know, it, it's all about inflammation and, you know, not necessarily something you're allergic to, but um, uh, the intolerances. And I didn't get that at first. I, I kept using my opinion or my version, you know, the perfectionist over controlling guy, but I kept at it and slowly, but surely I saw a difference and it was huge. Um, and, you know, I would nip away at the perfection. I would nip away, well, cheat day here. And, I'm so much better and it has helped so much. I wish I could, I, I say to veterans, anyone really, but especially to veterans, I wrap, I wish I could wrap this up in a pill, you know, or in a box or a formula recipe and give it to you, but I can't. But I said, it's made such a difference for me. And I mean, how powerful is that to know throughout the day or throughout the week, what you can put in your body uh, to take away the sleepiness, to take, to give you a little energy you know, how to regulate that, how far you can go on, you know, if, if for whatever reason, you know, you, you miss, miss a meal, how important water is. It's been huge. Um, probably two years into it when I first started to see the mental and emotional. Uh, and that probably has to do something with, you know, the yearly easing of the mind. Um, it's just, it's so rewarding, but it's been tough. It really has. So can you give us some specific things? Like what did you actually change in your diet? What were some of the things that you, you changed that ultimately led to you finding some success in doing that? You know, we, we call ourselves cavemen. So basically everything I made fun of, you know, in the locker room or the team room as a caveman, gluten-free, dairy-free, you know, sometimes I'm uh, vegan on and on and on. If I fought, cause I, what were my intolerances? It was corn and something else I like right off the bat from the blood test. And uh, it's like, ah, well, you know, and the program at first with her, with the nutritionist was just to, you know, kind of cut those out. And then if you really like them, bring them back in slowly. And of course, oh, I'm going to be all or none. Over time though, um, yeah, dairy, uh, 
somehow 21 years in the military and then still, you know, running hard other things outside for, you know, almost 28 years, really no physical injuries except for internal stuff. And one of them was the acid reflux and the, uh, the last three, four years, this little, you know, like frog in my throat that comes from dairy for me. And now if I know if I eat something that has that in there, that will be a physical effect. It really doesn't, you know, take away fatigue or, you know, mental, you know, acuity, anything else like that. But it's just, I know I'm going to get that, but it's so much more, it's short duration. Um, you know, it won't even last through going to bed and definitely won't wake up with it. Um, the, uh, it was a high starch, uh, carbohydrate, carbohydrate guy grew up, uh, in the upper Ohio Valley of, um, West Virginia, Pittsburgh, Ohio, eating a ton of Italian food. And I still love it. Pizza is one of still my favorite, but I, I can see what that does, especially during the day, like midday, uh, to my body and my mind. So, you know, I stay away from that. Definitely gluten-free bread. And I, you know, I still, people ask me about it all the time. I wish I could get better at explaining it. I say, I really still don't understand, but yeah, processed wheat. Um, so I just, so what, uh, gluten-free, dairy-free, um, a little bit, you know, a little bit of cheese, maybe on a salad, um, uh, natural, anything natural, supplement-wise, natural. Uh, I've even gone through the nutritionist even made me go through all my meds, but mostly with the VA and look at all the components inside there that could still be causing an intolerance. And again, like in the last two years with um, the physical side, but with the mental and emotional, um, the, I, I wish I could, I wish I had this much awareness mm. and I guess self-resilience back, you know, 25 years ago. I, I don't feel like I felt like this. Yeah, so that's really interesting. So one of the things that I've done over the last several months is I've definitely done the same thing. I've cleaned up my diet. Um, now, mainly, mostly vegetarian, as you were saying as well, taking out gluten. And the reason I did that is because my partner has a real problem with gluten. So, you know, being in a household together, you know, trying to have two different meals just doesn't make sense. I've just kind of just, you know, it's easier if I just go the way that she's going. So I've ended up cutting out gluten and everything else. And I feel so much better myself. And it definitely, it, it definitely interacts with your mood. That's for sure, right? So if you're eating unhealthily and you're not eating, you're not eating food that's good for you, it's going to mess with your mood. And we know that actually, which is interestingly, and there's a lot of scientific evidence coming out right now about the, your gut and how your gut is, is connected to your mental state. And so if your gut is out and you know, all the, the natural biome that you have in your gut, if that's not hundred percent right, that's going to affect your mental state. So that is something that we know. And there's, I mean, I don't have all of it in front of me, but it's quite easy to find that on the internet and people can go out and have a look at that. But that's fascinating to me. And, you know, as, as I've started cutting things out, the one thing that I found that was an issue for me was cheese, right? Dairy as well. So cheese is like, I can, I love it, but it's absolutely no, no for me. And one of the things that I also noticed was when I was really depressed, one of the things that I was struggling with all the time was a lot of gut problems, right? I was just really feeling like my stomach was sore all the time and aches and pains in my abdomen. It was there all the time. It, it was constant. And uh, so getting my diet right is, is obviously what it's done is it's restarted or kickstarted the, the, the natural processes in my stomach. It's kind of got everything to where it is, you know, that kind of the probiotics, 
that I take as well also help um, and m massive effect on mood. And I think a lot of people just don't realize that, right? I think one of the things that maybe is a takeaway in what we're talking about is it's not just a, you just don't just do one thing and then things are fixed, right? So if we look at what we've been discussing up until this point, we're saying, okay, speak to somebody that you really trust. That's really important. Take ownership for what's really going on and be honest with yourself. Change your diet. Look at what you're eating. Change your diet. Um, and I like what, what you were saying, which is really important, right? So we take all these things out and we can slowly put them back in, but you're only going to know if it's a problem for you when you do it that way. But definitely by changing your diet, you change your mood, which is most people don't think that. I think they, they don't realize how important it is what you consume affects how you feel and ultimately how you think. Yes. Spot on. That's actually what Jessica, the nutritionist started out with. And I, you know, I thought, well, this makes sense. Uh, and I didn't look at it. I just did what I was told, but then she kept giving me more literature and stuff on the internet to look at. And I'm like, well, this makes total sense. Mm -hmm. And I, I really, you know, two years, whenever I started with her, um, I really dug into it. And so, you know, you try to give a shade tree version to someone you meet in training or, mm -hmm. you know, friends or family. Um, and, you know, give an easy definition and they just kind of, well, yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, well, it's both simple, but it's not necessarily easy to employ. But if you're feeling this way, or if you, you know, not feeling about the way you look, I said, we don't, we're not trying to be beach models anymore. It's about longevity. You know, if you can't bend over to tie your shoes, eh, um, it, but very few people implement it because it's just, uh, I found out about stress eating and, and comfort foods, um, stress eating, you know, are, are the crunchy and I want to do chips. And she looked at me one day and said, well, why can't you do vet crunchy vegetables? I'm like, well, I don't want to. Yes, I do. But <laughs> that, that was hard. You know, why can't I do crunchy peanut M&Ms? So, and then of course I, I explored the comfort food and, or the stress eating. And, uh, you know, the more I made myself learn and pushed myself, that is probably other than reaching deep down and getting in touch with that internal, you know, 800 pound gorilla. It was this, you know, what I, I don't truly know if it's stress eating or comfort eating, but this has, you know, been the recent hurdle has been stuff like that. And it's, small comparison to what it was three years ago. So, but I'm like, why do I keep going back to this? It's a process. Yeah, I, th I think it is. So just coming to the final point, which I think kind of just brings everything home is that this idea of longevity, right? Is that we, we forget that at some point we're going to age. And as you've kind of hinted to, we're not going to be able to do the things we used to do. And I think everything we're speaking about, about just, you know, fixing our, fixing diet, being honest with ourselves, dealing with the problems in a productive way really comes down to this idea of longevity because that's one of the things that stood in my mind when I was going through all of this stuff. And one of the reasons outside of for my children, of course, because I have two boys, um, but also for myself, I was like, wow, you know what? If I'm going to be around for the next 20, 30 years or however long I'm going to be on this planet, I don't want to be in the same place I'm in right now, 20 years from now. Yeah, right. Right. And I still want to be active. Um, but yes, that's uh, so I try not to, you know, uh, live too much, uh, you know, man try to man predict and manage that outcome. But I, I want to be active. And if nothing else, uh, if I can't train, if I can't work out myself, at least run around with the, you know, the kids and the grandkids, especially the grandkids, um, because and, and to be to accept that 
and to be able to visualize and, and prepare for it. Uh, it's just, it, it has made me uh, feel better. And then when you're able to help someone else, uh, because our really our, our one daughter uh, who was a triathlete and a marathon runner and now has gone through this both up and down with two, she's pregnant again, but she's had the one granddaughter, uh, which will be five. And she talks about everything. She has really helped me and uh, to see her go through it, uh, depression, um, you know, uh, eating and not telling, throwing up, doing stuff, you know, uh, that has helped me because it, it was like, well, if I just do it, but seeing someone else go through it and talk about it and share it and she made herself vulnerable. And then she's also a lot more of an expert on do's and don'ts. And I'm like, so, and she's patient thank goodness to sit down and be able to help me. Uh, and then people ask, you know, what are you doing this for? Are you going to go back to, I, I never did any contracting, military contracting. They're like, what are you doing this for? I'm like longevity and personal well-being, and be able to help others, you know? Mm. So JD, I mean, where, where are you now? Like what are we talking about professionally? What are you actually doing right now? Like where do you, where do you see yourself? Uh, my wife and I have a, a small training business, um, OSS2 Shooting and Survival. Uh, I teach local classes or regional classes and um, myself and a couple other, uh, two other retired SF guys who are medics. So uh, they would prefer to shoot, but we try to also, you know, look at everything that we've talked about, especially on the non-physical side and put that into our training. I've also been involved with uh, training with a nonprofit. Uh, that deals in uh, human trafficking and uh, ch uh, uh, child slavery, mostly overseas, but they're doing more work domestically. And that's volunteer. Um, but it's really, uh, I say part-time, if you look at a schedule, which sometimes, you know, is in my head, it really looks full-time. But I said my, my our youngest son um, is a junior in high school. He's big in basketball. And uh I just can't tell him, no, son, I can't be there. So I, I still say what I do is um, more part-time and I'm still partially retired. But if there is someone, especially on the law enforcement side, um, really, I guess I could have summed it up. Any transfer of my skill set or what I've learned that we've talked about in the last 12 years to anyone, military, law enforcement, civilian, that's what I'd like to do. You know, if it, if it happens to be with our small business, independent contracting, that's, that is what I'm passionate about, but it can be as simple as sitting down with someone having this conversation over coffee in the morning. No, that's fantastic. So as we come to the end, JD, leave us with some words of wisdom. What would you want to leave us with your parting thoughts, something that will just get people, you know, thinking about something that they should do in their own lives and hopefully change for the better. Here's a controversial one for you. I always loved, I don't know if I was really a Nike guy, but you know, controversial because some of the, the latest current events with advertising, marketing and political stuff, but it can be just as simple as just do it. Okay. If, if you are able to look at yourself in the mirror and identify that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Most veterans say, well, embrace the suck. Well, for me, the mental and emotional side, it truly sucked. And I didn't really want to be outward about it, but now it's just, it can be as simple as just freaking do it. You know, just do it. You, you, you've got some facts, you've got some literature, you've got someone else that has experienced it. Just do it and get it done. Hey!
To learn more about the art of self-reliance, our virtual coaching service, online courses, and our retreats in Thailand, head over to Primal Skills. That's with a Z.com.